The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord, capital L-O-A-R-D, which is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, relational Father God, is and forever will be my shepherd. That, by implication, means that I am a sheep. So the most vulnerable of all domestic animals, totally dependent on their shepherd for survival. Therefore, if I want to have the benefit of God, the almighty ruler of the universe, being my shepherd, I need to take on the posture of a sheep in his care. In other words, I need to humble myself and stay part of his flock. I need to know and respond to his voice. And when I do this, I will lack nothing. I will find myself in a state of shalom, meaning nothing missing, nothing out of place, everything provided for, everything taken care of. In that state, I will follow, if I, when I follow his leading, I will end up beside peaceful waters. I will be refreshed by his presence. And I will live a righteous life for his glory and fame. So that even when death and darkness surround me, it will hold or incite no fear or anxiety in me. For you, Lord God, are with me. Your discipline and instruction comforts me and keeps me safe. You, Lord, do not remove every possible threat from me. No, you bless me. You shape me. You fashion me. And you build my character in the midst of the fight. I am sustained and I overcome the threat because you enable me you empower me, and you will bless me abundantly. Your covenantal love and faithfulness, your goodness, preserves, pursues me every single day, and I am overwhelmed by your goodness to me. My desire, Lord, is to dwell, is to linger, is to abide, is to remain in your house forever. Good morning once again. In the last couple of weeks, three weeks, we've had the absolute joy to feast on the goodness of God as expressed through testimonies of Chris and Mikey. And Nick shared with us on the goodness and he um, revealed to us as the revelation came and was discovered by the rich young ruler in Luke 18 that if we desire goodness, goodness is not going to be found in a what must I do but rather in a who do I need. Because goodness and good is personified in Jesus. And if I want to experience goodness and be good, have goodness, I need to receive Jesus inside of me. I need to allow the Father to put Jesus in me. And so today's message is something of my story, of how God found me or in His grace and put Jesus inside of me, put goodness in me. And so as you listen to my story here today, 
I'd love for you to actually forget about me and really see God. And I'd love it to be something that would put faith in your heart for your journey with God and discovery with Him. And that you can find and experience good inside of you every single day of your life. So my story began about 55 years ago when I was born. And uh, I was born into a Christian family. I was privileged to be born to Christian parents. And so from my earliest memories, I was taught from scriptures. And I pretty much grew up um, known as a, as a kid who, who was a good Christian kid. But at the age of 12, I was confronted with this concept of being born again. And it was, for me at that point, something that I thought was applicable for people who was not born in a Christian family, who came from the outside, like first-generation Christians. They needed to be born again. But if you're born in a Christian family, my understanding was you automatically grow up in that, and you're a believer. But the concept that confronted me was the fact that I met a guy who said that God had no has no grandchildren, only children. And that when two human beings come together, they have a human being baby. Whether they're Christians doesn't make it a Christian baby. It's just a human being. And that each one of us have to make a decision for ourselves to actually put our faith in Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and receive him. And so um, that really threw my world because I thought I'd been a believer all the time. But I could not wait for the opportunity to do so. And as soon as possible, I could get out of the conversation, went to my room, and I just asked God to receive me. <clears throat> and it is a continuation of a beautiful story of how God put himself in me. And when I look back on my life, there is an absolute confidence in me that I could see the hand of God all throughout upon my life by his incredible grace. So the rest of my school career was good with had a wonderful home environment upbringing. And I made a commitment on that day that I really, I was good academically, and I just, just said, God, I want to use my mind to know you as best as I can. So I studied the scriptures from little, started memorizing scripture. And so my love for the word and for God in that context, context grew, but I did not actually know the reality of a personal relationship, the realness of it, because I had not been introduced to the Holy Spirit. The church that I belonged to um, did not make much of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledged it and Him or the personhood of, of Holy Spirit, but it wasn't practiced. And so when I came to university, I was introduced to more the charismatic kind of churches and, and people, and there I got introduced to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was really from then that my relationship with God took on a whole new dimension of, of actual real interaction with my father and, and hearing his voice and learning to recognize and experience that. And so one of the first things that um, was quite a significant challenge that I felt God put on my faith was in the area of finances. So being the fourth child of a, a family, my parents, we were six children. My parents were hardworking and um, had good jobs, but it, we were by no means wealthy. We was fine, but we were not wealthy. And being the fourth child in the family, the general expectation was that you would go to university and just take out a student loan. And then work through, and it was quite accessible in those days for us, and, but, but yet, obviously, it would mean that you would have debt when you finish, and then you'd have to pay all of that off. And I found God challenged me from Romans 13, verse 8. 
And <laughs> the verse says, in essence, to owe no man anything except the debt of love. And so I felt God challenge me not to go into any form of debt. And the thing that he put inside of me is that he wanted my future to remain free. Because that's what debt does. It, it captures your future. It holds you slave. And your future is not free to just be sent or used whichever way God wants. So I'm not saying this is something for everyone. I do believe it's scriptural. But that's what God spoke to me. So I agreed. What happened in my first year, I did it well academically. And so the banks in those days, especially Standard Bank, would offer a merit bursary to um, academic achievers. And you could go to university in your first years. And tuition would be paid for. And then from the second year, you'd basically have access to a loan without needing anybody to stand surety for you. So that was there. And so in my second year, first year worked out, second year, I did access that, that fund. But during that time, God challenged me. So I had a bit of debt, but it wasn't a huge amount. And, um, and I started living with that principle. But I did not know how that would look and how that would actually work itself out. But <clears throat> I felt that was what God encouraged me to do. So we did. And um, I love to read autobiographies, autobiographies of, of um, missionaries in particular. And there I read a book of uh, Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was a guy that God used to um, open up the whole of India, basically, I mean, um, China. He went to China, started China Inland Mission. But in his formative time before that, he felt God challenge him on the same issue. And he felt God um, speak to him and said never to actually discuss his financial needs with anyone, not even with his boss. He had a boss at the time that told him, he said, I'm very forgetful, so when the end of the month comes, please tell me if I haven't paid you yet. But Hudson believed that if he's going to do that now, how is he going to trust God when he's out in the field? So he <coughs> refused to do that. So he simply believed that God would remind his leader, his uh, boss, and he would just express his needs to God and nobody else. And so that was the principle he lived. And, and if you may know the whole story, many, many thousands of rains actually went through him um, into the ministry and things in years to come, and he held to that principle always. Never at speaking engagements or anything asked for money. So um, that's just what, what it was. And so um, what happened was I uh, engaged in that process, but as I said, didn't know how it would look. And then in my um, sort of middle of my third year, I went to a camp, a Christian Medical Fellowship camp, and there I met Ingrid. And um, that's a whole other incredibly beautiful story of God's goodness and kindness to me that I'm to this day overwhelmed by. But I met this incredible girl, and it was pretty much, from my side, love at first sight, as close as you can get to that. And uh, there was many reasons why. Uh, of course, I thought she was incredibly beautiful, and inside and out, and um, was drawn to that, but also to the fact that just in my immediate encounters with her, I discovered that this was somebody who had an incredible depth of relationship with God. And the reality of it, and that she had been living in the same way, where she had completely trusted God for everything, including her finances. With no financial backing, she went to university. So for me, it was immediately, this is my soulmate. And uh, and uh, don't need to say much else. 18 months later, we were married, and we were still students. But there we were, 
penniless, literally penniless. We did not have two pennies to rub against one another, literally like that. But we believe that this is a conviction God had given us, so even our parents, we would not uh, expect of them financial support or anything. This is our journey of faith. And so it was the case. And we, we had some close friends that, that uh, uh, we were part of a prayer group, and they obviously knew our circumstances, but it was never discussed or that this is now a need and this has come up or anything like that. But through just their support with us, we felt that we carried. And, they, and I can tell you numerous stories. Some of you may have heard some of them of how God provided literally every single cent for our education. Dentistry and medicine was of the most expensive courses to, to study in those days. <clears throat> but God provided in miraculous ways. There are, there are numerous situations. There were situations where people that did not know us just somehow heard about us and would send us money. There would be people that, um, the Ingrid had a particular professor at the university that would call her into his office, and then he would just present her with a check, which would be the, cost, the fees for tuition for the next term. <laughs> and so that story continued. Beautiful in many, many ways. Um, we, it, it was, we did not have huge amounts of things at all. As students, we did not ever go out coffee. There weren't really coffee shops in those days, but any of those kind of things. But it was good, and God was good. We were never malnourished. We always had food. Our fridge wasn't full, but we always had food. And two incredible things was we absolutely loved fruit. We always had fruit to eat, and I loved giving Ingrid flowers. And there was always flowers in the house throughout, even though they were donated by neighbors and others. <laughs> Stuff that leans over the wall is yours, isn't it? So all that happened. But that's the truth. We were never for many years. So in 1996, we found ourselves here in Durban and um, finished studying. The circumstances from the financial side obviously changed, but always, still, every single month, being totally dependent on him to provide for us. And to this day, it is really like that. As a dentist, you start every month fresh. You've got lots of people dependent on you, but you've got to, it's got to come in. And if God withholds his hand, those things just dry up. And so we live with that, within that reality to this day. So then, in 1996, we, or oh, 95 actually came in, 96, well, it was still in 95 actually, we um, felt God lead us to buy a house, and uh, we did so. And in that process, He gave us a scripture for it. Ingrid likes to give our house a name. And so, from Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4, God spoke to us and said, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy a safe pasture. I say that it's also that we came to Durban really believing we will be here for a very short period of time and then probably be sent out somewhere um, in a rural setup or something to do, like a mission hospital or stuff like that. But this verse, God has told us to, to put our roots down, dwell in the land, and enjoy a safe pasture, and let him outwork the future. And it says, take the light in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we did, and we, we called our home Safe Pastures. And that was really an incredible season of our lives, just experiencing um, the amazing love and provision of God and His kindness and goodness in so many ways. We were part of a beautiful Christian community down in Morningside, which stretched us. They, they were a very um, right-brained kind of community, autistic and all that. We were very left-brained into the sciences and all this. So we really needed to learn to love 
all peoples of all flows, <laughs> not just the ones who think logically, but all sorts of ways. And so God continued to just build within us, within us himself. And then in 97, on the 14th of March, 1997, we were blessed with the incredible gift of our first child. Caitlin was born. <coughs> and we were overwhelmed by God's goodness and faithfulness to us, and kindness to us. She was a treasure beyond measure, like what I call her. And it was just amazing. We truly felt that we had entered into the shalom of God. Nothing missing, nothing lacking, everything in place. It was all ordered and beautiful. And we just had incredible time in our safe path, just enjoying his presence and that with us. Until suddenly, out of nowhere, a couple of months later, well, but I don't know exactly how many, but um, Ingrid had a miscarriage of our second pregnancy. <clears throat> It was early on, about 11 weeks, but still I saw the, the, just the, the, the true mourning of someone who lost something very precious. Like she would put it, it felt like life was taken out of a womb. And really up to that point, that was the first time that I felt really confronted by the sense of personal loss that I grief. I've lost my grandparents by the stage and that, but that's kind of expected, they had long lives and beautiful lives and all that, but this was our first confrontation with something like that. But in the midst of it, our good shepherd father was there, and he spoke a word into Ingrid's spirit and said to her that a year from then, she would hold the baby in her arms. God also spoke to us and said, that what we are going through now is because he loves us and because he is at work in us for his glory. Remember Psalm 23. We'll find all those things, but we live for his glory, the glory of his fame and his name. And so it was about 11 months later from that day that our beautiful bodies arrived. <laughs> and what a joy that was and what healing and so Bonnie's second name is Jade, which is a, stand, a stone that stands for healing. Mm. Little did we know that that gift would present in years to come probably one of our greatest faith tests. But let me not run ahead of myself. It will come later. Because, you know, God never runs ahead of him and ahead of the things. God prepares us for everything that we need to face. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation, or you can say faith challenge, has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or challenged beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, or when you face your test of faith, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That is the faithfulness of our good, good Father. And so in 2010, 
We had three daughters by that stage. Our beautiful toads had arrived, and um, we felt our family complete. And there were so many good things, so beautiful, and just basking God's goodness to us. Knowing it, and by that time we had become part of this community of believers, so we knew the goodness of God as expressed through His person, but also His body. And we really enjoyed it and loved it and just flourished in it. But then one day, totally unexpected, out of the blue, uh, health challenges started happening. Ingrid literally overnight developed a 15-centimeter clot in her right arm. From going to bed and the next morning waking up with this clot. And that presented all sorts of um, potential problems or problems and things with it. One was that she could lose her arm. Or serious was the fact that, that she could shoot a em- uh, long em- embolism, it's called, which would potentially be fatal. But in the goodness of God, medical sciences had advanced to such a stage that after a long operation in a theater that looked like the space station with all its monitors and everything up there and people wearing headgear and all these things as they do the procedures all on camera, they managed to dissolve the clot and things were okay again. But this, this situation is a result of a condition called thoracic outlet syndrome which means that there's just a, a situation in your shoulders that would create these clots, and it doesn't actually resolve itself. So it has been an ongoing thing, and she had to, since that time, already four times, in addition to that, have this procedure repeated. But it is good, and God is good, and we had to make some lifestyle adjustments, but life could carry on, and it was fine. And then just the following year, my, it was my turn. And um, totally again unexpected, without any forewarning, uh, was diagnosed with a condition called ASD, atrial septum defect, which is basically something that you are actually born with, but it was never discovered in my case, and it is a hole in your heart. It's a hole between the septum of your atria, which is your heart's got four chambers, the first two receive the blood, the right one from the body and left one from your lungs, and then it goes to the chambers from where it's pumped to lungs from the right and left to the rest of your body. And then those, those, the wall between there should keep the two blood groups, or the blood separated, the oxygenated and unoxygenated blood. But in my case, that uh, wall was, they call it fenestrated, it had these tears in it. So the blood could flow from one side to the other, which obviously it shouldn't do. And as a result of that, you would go into heart failure. And, and so when this was discovered completely, Unexpectedly, it was simply a medical that I had to take for insurance purposes. Life insurances, uh, they did all the tests and said that I needed to have open-heart surgery. So you can imagine, boop, quite a thing that we were confronted with. But how has God good in this situation? Many, many, many ways. The one thing is you, when they, they did the operation in December of that year, and it was very successful, but... After the operation, a surgeon told me that he could not believe that I actually lived a completely normal life, active life. I did all manner of sports and things. Never had any awareness of this, not short breathness, nothing like that. I actually got a very low heart rate pace, like as if I was very fit. Not that I was, but that's it. And, uh, but it's, it's just God's goodness in it. And the way I see it is you could think that God 
could have healed me as a child, or you could have let them discover it in the operation then. But I was born in 1968, and if you know medicine, you know that that's the year when the first heart transplant was performed by um, Chris Barnard down in Cape Town. And so that was not something very common to do those days, to have an operation where you actually take the heart out, work it, and put it back, <coughs> that kind of thing. So, so the risk was, in those days, were very high, and the mortality rate was high of those kind of operations. <clears throat> so God actually decided that what he would rather do than that miracle will heal me at that point, that he, for, at that point, 43 years, would be the barrier between my left and right chamber. And I worked out that means 86,000 times a day. Every heartbeat, he kept my heart, kept the blood from not mixing to the extent that I would go into heart failure. So how is that? God says his thoughts towards us are so numerous, you cannot count them. Isn't that incredible? He did it. And at the time then, when he felt it was ready, he brought it to light. Again, could have done it miraculously, but he decided to choose medicine to heal me. And so I had this medical procedure, and it was completely successful. And they said that at the time, the damage had just started to take effect on the heart, at the point, but actually it's fully recoverable, you know, reversible. So really remarkable. But the next thing that to me was very significant about this story and why I tell it is because of the financial challenge that God had put before us. And what had happened was that literally a year before this was discovered, the life insurance that I had with a dread disease cover that was part of it changed the product. They added another little clause to it, which meant that my premium was only about a tw literally 20 rand more per month. But what it did is it made it that when this procedure was performed, I was paid out 100% my dread, dread disease cover, which was really a substantial amount of money. And so that just like landed in our lap through this. And what happened at that time, that was 2012, we it started, our kids were going to high school, Caitlin and, and um, Bonnie was now in high school, and so we had felt God lead us and allow us to put our kids in the school in Kloof. And so they were there. We were still living in Westville. But the process of up and down the hill became something quite that you were aware of, you know. started taking its toll <laughs> because they were part of different, uh, had different activities. And so we were up early and late at night and all these things. And so we just started wondering about this option of maybe we should consider moving to Kloof. And what is amazing is right next to the school, a house got, um, was put on the market. But it was already on the market for months, and we just didn't notice it. But on one particular day, myself and Ingrid noticed it the same day. She, when she dropped the girls in the morning, or I did in the morning, and they, she in the afternoon. And in the evening, we said, did you notice that? And so we thought, hmm. But we realized that it would be a bit out of our league, and so we left it there. But soon after, it was, there was a show house, and Jody had this beer in a bonnet that she had a dream of us moving. And so she said, we must go to the show house. So anyway, I took the girls off. Ingrid wasn't too keen. And uh, we went there. And we had a look. And we came back. And that was the end of the story. We engaged 
and the process. But that process in buying that house was an incredible story on its own that I can keep you for a long time of the details of it. But just suffice to say this, that the offer that I made on the house, uh, we're in consultation with friends and other leaders and that we did this, but the offer that I, I put in, I added up the amount that I was given for that operation, the trade disease payout, together with what I believed we could get for our house. And that's the amount that I offered. And, and, and that was actually still between 20 to 25% less than what they actually asked for. But that's the conviction that I had, and we placed that offer. And it was actually immediately rejected. Actually, they, they, they were offended that we could even put this offer in. But I just said, that's what God said to me. That's what it will be. And we left it and said, you can try and sell it. This is the offer that we can offer. And for the whole rest of the year, they tried. Every agent in Durban and beyond came to try and sell that house. But God had kept it for us. Literally, it's a great house. house but no one actually came a second time or placed in any offers for the whole year. And during that time, there's obviously things happening in our hearts and that, but God had spoken to us. Remarkably, one day at an elders, um, city elders meeting, the guy who was speaking picked us out from a crowd, not knowing us from anywhere, never met him before, and he prophesied over us. And he spoke about a, 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 a property transaction that is being obstructed. And he said that God has said that he would remove the obstacles, the deal will go ahead, and that he would provide the finances from an unexpected source. So that made us ears picked up and thought, is this really true? But things still happen, it was backwards and forwards, and we had to just leave it. And then God gave us this word, which was the next. Habakkuk 2, verse 3 and 4. He said, The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desire are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So we felt God say this, just leave it. And Ingrid felt from that the end thing referred to, by the end of the year, the house will be ours. And obviously the enemy is going to throw things at us, but it is his faithfulness that will bring it through. And it was literally on the very 11th hour, the last possible day that they could, that through a whole series of events of many things, they came back to us and asked us to reinstate our offer. And the whole kind of things happened. They accepted it, and it was submitted on the last possible day before the deeds office closed for that year. So just like our experience had been all along, we were never late on any in all those years of students, ever on payments or anything like that, never needed to ask for extensions. God always provided, even if it meant on the 11th hour. And these things came through. And so we called our house Habakkuk House. So if you come and visit and you see there, Habakkuk House, that's why. It is a house of faith. That's what we felt God say to us, and it happened to be number 24, St. Mary's Road, so Habakkuk 2, verse 4. That's what it looks like on our board. So that's what it, what it is. And so it was beautiful. We love our house. I don't think many days go by without us just thanking God for his kindness and generosity to us to experience this incredible place. And once again, we could buy it without owing a single cent from day one. So, 
and that's to the goodness of God. Delayed gratification. Save and then buy. Wait and then do. Not go before and work the other way around. You pay for it many times over. So, but in that house, we have also had incredible faith challenges that God brought to us. And none other than probably the greatest, which was the situation with our bonds, which on the 30th of September in 2016, just before her matric exams, around about this time, she was about to have that little October recess and then the exams were going to start. Once again, out of complete nowhere, with no anticipation or expectation of this, she was diagnosed with chronic kidney failure. <clears throat> At that point, even though it wasn't ex expressed physically as much as we picked it up, her toxicity levels were so high that they actually expected that she could go into a coma at any moment. And with that, ended into rapid onset of um, organ failure. And so for the next 12 days, we, her, her life was really in the balance, hanging on a thread. And it was yeah, just the most yeah, challenging time. But yet we were part of this incredible community of people who prayed for us. And when you look back, you cannot explain it in any other way than knowing that we were carried by the praise of people and the presence and the goodness of God through that. We literally had people, friends who made over the years and people that have moved from this place in all parts of the world praying for us, churches, even our um, friends in Mozambique where we've ministered over the years with our girls and new bunny at night vigils. and praying for us. And so God did once again amazing things. Maybe different to what we would have loved or expected, but he was at work. And so the doctors actually didn't expect it to even pull through. And when it started looking that it would happen, they were telling us that you cannot expect this child to write the metric exams. And they wanted us to apply for a special exemption and um, that she would write the following year. But Bonds had an amazing resilience and faith. She was truly ready to meet Jesus. She had no anxiety or anything around it. was full of faith and expectation for it. But she also had a faith that she could live. And she had a faith that she was going to co continue and complete her matric right there and then. She insisted on attending the last day of school, so like they gave her a special pass for hospital and she could go. <clears throat> and she did. And it was a beautiful day. It was actually they had a special celebration at school as she was on the last day, also prize giving and all these things. Anyway, she got some amazing prizes. But you know what? She wrote her exams. And she wrote it, this was literally, I think started in like um, 10 days or something from that, amidst going to dialysis, four hours, two to three, well, every second to third day, and dealing with all the challenges of that, you're exhausted after it, you've got headaches, all these kind of things. And she literally wrote on her preparation up to trials, because it was no time other. But just to prove God's goodness and faithfulness, she passed, 
And she passed with distinction in every subject. She passed with an aggregate higher than what she ever had in her whole school career. And that is not to say that, that is to bring glory to our incredible God, who is good in the midst of trials and in the midst of difficulties. And of course, this would have been great if that was the end of the story, but it wasn't. And it is only the first chapter, really. And so there was many trials and things still to come, <laughs> challenges of having to go to university and all that, but she... She wanted to, and we had faith that she would, and that God knew beforehand. And the details of the of attention, or, or the beauty of the um, attention that God paid to detail, is staggering. And if I could tell you that, I'd keep you for a couple more hours. But in His goodness, He provided the uh, most amazing lady and her husband, who felt God lead them to donate a kidney for our bonds. And so she was given a healthy kidney in November of the following year, 2017. And as a result of that, she had five incredible years of freedom from dialysis and all these things, living an incredibly beautiful life, counting every moment, making every day count, just contributing and doing grateful things, but then many things. But the story is not over, friends, and it continues. Living with a transplanted organ, he is, is always there, and the risk always exists. And so um, earlier this year, it was discovered that the transplanted kidney is actually not doing so well, and, and there's been a steady decline in her functionality of the kidney. And right now, at this very moment, she actually does need, once again, an intervention from God that we trust for in whichever way he would choose to do so. And so my message to us today, I started with this whole thing of of um, Psalm 23, paraphrasing it and just applying it, like I felt God speak to me about it. And in verse 6 it says that his goodness and mercy will pursue you. And my story is a testimony of that, of how God's goodness and mercy, his covenantal faithfulness, has pursued us all the days of our lives. And that can be your experience too. And I thought what I really would love for us to receive today, or for you, an application, is obviously you, you each got your journeys, and there are so many different things and applications that can come from it, your challenges that you face. But the one particular thing that I thought was in the area of finances. And so I would love for us to stand, and the band, maybe you can come up. But before we do the final response song... I'd like to present this challenge to you. And it is particular, I thought, in the, for young people, but for anyone, but particularly for young people, to not allow your future to be robbed of what your dream and intentions are because of finances. Our parents could not pay for us. But God had called us, God had put inside of us to study what we studied. And so we trusted Him and we believed that He could. And literally, he provided everything. Our, our parents paid for less than 1% of our total cost. And we could finish that without, except for that little bit of debt that I had, we could pay off very quickly, any debt, anything. And that is the goodness of our God. And so if you've got a financial issue that you would love 
to God to just deposit faith in you for? I'd love for you to respond to this. If you've got the boldness to come forward, you could. Otherwise, it's where you are if you want to just respond to God. And I'd love to just pray for us and for you to receive this prayer of boldness. Remember I said that for me to be experiencing the goodness of the Creator God being my shepherd, I need to take on the posture of a sheep. What needs to means that I need to humble myself and I need to stay part of his flock. Not run away or go elsewhere, but remain in his flock. And I need to learn to hear and know and recognize his voice and respond to that. And when you do that, you would live in that abundant supply of God. There's a other verse where it speaks where Abraham was offering Isaac and said, On the Mount Moriah, the God provided. Which is, if I find myself on the mountain of the Lord, there he will provide. So my responsibility is simply an humility to submit to him, walk with him, walk and step with him, and where I find myself will be this rural Mount Moriah where God will provide. So I'd like to pray for you and just respond to that. So Lord, I thank you for the boldness of Chris even to come here. But I'm sure there are many, God. There are many whom you have spoken to you in this very message of today this testimony of my life, mine and Ingrid's, but not because we are anything special, Lord. We, we're simply children in your house. And there are millions, billions of children in the house to whom this is accessible to all of us, God. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for Chris and I pray for every other that you would deposit faith in their lives right now, God, to trust you. Not to do silly things, Lord. Not to go out on silly little errands or stuff and wanting to do ridiculous things, but actually to truly wait upon you, to hear you, hear your voice, and then respond, but not to allow finances to prevent them from walking into what you have predestined for their lives, the footsteps that you have prepared and ahead of time for us to walk into, no matter what it entails, Lord. Be it a mission trip somewhere, be it a generosity of giving to someone, be it an exploitation for you of whatever kind, being committing yourself to fervent study in an area, even if it would take finances or whatever it would be, but in response to you would have the faith to do it, Lord, and then not let finances hold us back, and to engage into a lifestyle where we keep our futures free, Lord, where we keep ourselves available and ready for you to move and to do with us whatever you will. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would do this, that you would do this incredible work, Lord, faith to experience your goodness, faith to trust in your goodness, Lord, and your daily pursuit of us with your goodness, your goodness, your covenantal faithfulness, your pursuit of us that does not make us the center of the universe. You remain the center. It is you, God. It's all about you, and it is for us to live to your glory, not to dictate to you how we want to live to your glory, but simply surrender and say, Lord, have your glory through my life. Give us this faith, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.